Welcome back. It's time for more Bill's Big Bag of Onions. I'm 50,000 watts of power on that top radio. I got so many beats on His image was beamed onto a giant fabric screen at the Dutch National Opera as a chorus of 115 singers, illuminated in the background like ghostly apparitions, performed Hans Werner Henze's surging oratorio Das Floss der Medusa. The evening drew connections across different art forms and between historical woes and modern tragedy. Henze's work was inspired by Theodore Jericho's painting of 1819, The Raft of the Medusa. That depicts a calamity of three years earlier when the Meduse, a French naval frigate, ran aground off the West African coast. After the top brass boarded the available lifeboats, the remaining crew hastily constructed a raft, tying it to the boats. Making no headway, the commanding officer ordered the tow lines to be cut. The more than 150 men and one woman on the raft were set adrift. 
sustained by only a few casks of water and wine, they resorted to suicide, murder and cannibalism. Only about ten survived. distinction is between new weapons that are equipped with fairly narrow autonomy and will carry out a specific task more effectively than humans, such as an anti-ship missile that has been programmed to select its targets, and future systems, perhaps 20 years away, endowed with general AI. 
weapons with narrow autonomy that are able to activate themselves, for example to respond to a cyber attack at the speed of light, will pose some risks of escalation. But when combined with human control systems, as in a squadron of drones orchestrated by a manned aircraft, they may improve precision and situational awareness and be capable of better split-second analysis than people who are prone to fear, rage and exhaustion. Fully autonomous weapons, which can plan, solve problems and extrapolate from experience, are something else. They will need a human only to order the start of a mission, maybe not even that. Here, the dangers and moral issues are so profound that it is in humanity's interest to seek ways of controlling the technology. You're listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions.
weather and the buses are known to be in league with each other. The worse the one, the fewer of the other, and the more dismal life in general. All the more so in the 1970s, when meteorology was a less exact science. Bus shelters ran no digitalized information. No one had mobile phones to explain what they were doing or where they were going or when they might be expected. And pre-Raphaelite hair, beards, flares, maxi skirts, and platform shoes turned any encounter with the elements, as any attempt to descend at speed from the upper deck, into serious drama, if not trauma. The random ways of public transport were nowhere better celebrated than in On the Buses, a favourite 1970s TV sitcom starring Reg Varney as Stan Butcher. The short and cheeky driver of the number 11 bus. The number 11 served the mythical Essex town of Luxton, in fact Wood Green in North London. The green double-decker spent more hours in the garage than out of it, and Stan spent more time eating tea with his dysfunctional family or hanging out with his mate Jack, a randy conductor with an eye for the birds. But he often supped his stew still dressed in his bus driver's jacket with its shiny badge. A token of his devotion to his job, the modern Britain's nostalgia for buses with rounded lines, conductors, platforms, and hand-cranked ticket machines has much to do with him. Fawcett, the president of the National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies (NUWSS), was the leader of the moderate suffragist wing of the movement, which believed in constitutional agitation and law-abiding propaganda. From the 1870s, she oversaw lobbying and the delivery of thousands of petitions and letters to Parliament. At the start of the 20th century, such decorous tactics were the preference of feminists around the world. From America's Susan B. Anthony to France's Jean Schmal and New Zealand's Kate Shepherd, their fortunes varied. Women in New Zealand were granted the vote in 1893. French women got it only in 1944. Yet posterity's view of the British movement focuses on the disorder fomented by the militant suffragettes. The archetypal images are of a diminutive Emmeline Pankhurst being accosted by a policeman at the gates of Buckingham Palace, or of one of her imprisoned supporters having a dirty force-feeding tube thrust into her nose.、Uh, to get back to the、uh, the warning that I received, 
you may take it with how many, however many grains of salt you wish, that the brown donuts that are circulating around us are not specifically too good. Uh, it's suggested that you do stay away from the brown donuts. Of course, it's your own trip, so be my guest, but uh, please be advised that there is a warning on that one, okay? Do not eat the brown donuts. It's your Bill's big bag of onions. That meter maid who lends one lively wink and eye We dance a borrowed chick while hiding from the fine Oh, what I wouldn't spend to lend you mine Nobody knows where they are going Oh, how we try to wrap our minds Over the edge of all our knowings Be it a bang or that divine Tip of my iceberg blues are shown I've never been right for goodbye So till I meet you there I'm singing Traveling song to ease the ride And so you know Everywhere I roam I'll see you on the road Ooh. Oh, I've taken in vain All the plans and moves that we made Half a heart is aching to grow Soulmates aren't just lovers, you know I know, I know your eyes are the rain just a soul that's changing its shape I'll be laughing all of the way Thinking about the days Oh, nobody knows where they are going Oh, we try to wrap our minds Over the edge of all our knowings Be it a bang or the divine Tip of my iceberg blues are showing I've never been one for goodbye so Like a beast in the feast Like the queen that he fed Turtle soup Little boy from Paris to the States Check the facts That was magical Max He was black sheep and mischief In love for his craft And he told me that I was Apollo 13 On the very last day He says shoot for your dreams Little girl to the stars While well, I'm taking you with me Now this one is ours And I know what you'd say You'd say on with the show So on the news delivered to me by my television, my radio, my newspapers, my Twitter feed has over the last few years become increasingly shrill, urgent, competitive. Fake news, dubious news, genuine news. Their purveyors are all trapped in the same spiral, competing for shrinking markets, spoiled for choice viewers, withering ad revenues, distracted late night surfers. Like hapless diners in an echoing restaurant, it only takes one or two raised voices before if anyone wants to be audible, they'll have to raise their voices too, then shout, then bellow, then scream. And if you're screaming, you look foolish if you're not screaming about something dreadful. The slide away from expensive journalism and towards cheap punditry happened long ago. Views, not news. But now the views have to be exponentially strident to be noticed. And the news, well, it has to be bad. Bad news is addictive. If everything your outlet delivers is another slice of awfulness and there's no joy in sight, no possible remedy, no power, no hope, 
then the consumer of your information is more likely to cling to you as a favoured outlet. There does seem to be a difference. And if you listen to this one, I think you may detect a difference here, or you should. What surprises me is that in each case, I'm holding the phone about six inches from my mouth. So you'd have thought that the area around me shouldn't really make that much difference when my voice is only traveling six inches to the recording device. But this recording is taking place in our hallway. So there may well be an even greater degree of what you've described as boxiness here. I'm now holding the phone at arm's length from me. I'm in the same space, and I suspect you're going to get a much greater echo on this as the voice bounces around before it hits the phone. Growing, sprouting from the back 
don't, you don't know what you came for Dream machine, rattlesnake, charm on the dance floor What a wonderful program this is. This is just great radio. You're listening to Billy's Biggie Bag of Billy Onions. Superhero flicks are unavoidably formulaic. The heroes are difficult to kill not because of their superpowers, but because they serve a higher power, an industrial blockbuster economy. The superstars each get their screen time in a loose correlation to their importance to fans. Their defeats are ephemeral, even when they die or appear to. They are part of the ineluctable journey to a climactic battle, which in turn points the way towards more films. Given these constraints, Infinity War, the 19th film in the MCU, is a remarkable achievement. It manages to weave together several action storylines, each carried by a subset of familiar heroes. Together, on Earth and other distant planets, they seek to thwart a villain's Malthusian quest to wipe out half the population of the universe. Despite the grave nature of this mission, Infinity War is also one of the funniest MCU sagas. Some main characters perish, and most others are frequently at risk of doing so, but the heroes never stop making fun of each other, their adversaries, and the carnage around them. You're listening to Bill's Big Bad Big
now the poor guy, you gotta see this guy. I don't know what I said. I don't remember. He's gonna We're here in New York City. We're going to ask Americans which countries played the greatest role in defeating the Nazis during the Second World War. Let's take a listen. I say the United States of America. The United States, England, Poland, Russia. The U.S. and Britain. I don't really know. Okay, shoot. We just went to the Holocaust Museum, and I wish I could remember which country's France. French. Can you think of another country? America. Can you think of another country? Britain. What about the Soviet Union? Um, yeah, that was a portion of it I remember seeing in there. Um, but there was a pretty good-sized portion dedicated to that. Ask any American on the street if they've ever heard of the Battle of Stalingrad. I doubt it. The former Soviet Union? United States. Austria was part of it. Japan lost. Russia lost. Russia lost. Yeah. Seriously? Which country took Berlin? United States. The largest role had the most casualties in the in the fight against the Nazis during the Second World War. Oh, that's I'm like totally blanking. It's not the U.S. The Allied forces. It was England. It was the United States. It was Belgium. It was France. It was Canada. Who else was part of the uh, Soviet Union? The Allies, including the United States, Great Britain, France, probably Australia. How about the Soviet Union? Yeah, that's right. And Italy? No, not Italy. Germany? No, the Nazis were in Germany, but what country contributed the most to defeating them? America. Which countries won the Second World War? Oh gosh, I don't know right off the top of my head, I'm sorry. Germany? <laughs> Nazis were actually in Germany. Onions. Big bag of onions. Books. 
reflect all I've seen I'm leaving America I'm taking the girls I'm far from the future And ambush the Excellent piece of music, well chosen. Are you enjoying this as much as I am? This is great. And this change all started when I received an envelope in the mail. It was an invitation, not to a birthday party, I didn't get any of those, not to a playground, but to a business plan competition down in Boston. And I was curious. I was just so curious that I had to go, and the program director explained to us that over five months, we would form a team, develop a business idea, and present this idea to a panel of judges, and we actually ended up winning that competition and taking home a check. And that one event sparked my interest for going to more and more of these competitions. And over the next two years of my life, I actually went to dozens and dozens of these competitions, and I was winning almost all of them. Because the one thing that my team would do differently from our other competitors every single time was that while everyone would go up and present their idea and their PowerPoint, we would go to Home Depot, buy supplies, and actually build the idea we were talking about. And the judges were just so blown away by the fact that a bunch of teenagers could go and create things, could make prototypes and minimally viable products. And we won almost every single competition just because the judges loved that we had gone and executed. This has got nothing to do with onions. There is no back, and I might not be Bill, but something's big.
listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions on Colm Radio 106.6 FM. The first is the value of happiness. Now this is often confused with consumerism. To understand why happiness was so important and why the claim ensconced in the American Declaration of Independence that everyone has a right to equal right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, you need to think about what things were like in pre-modernity. Happiness was either something in a golden age that we lost or something that you might get to in heaven if you did the right sorts of things. But the idea that everyone had an equal right to the pursuit of happiness was completely revolutionary. If the natural world presents contingencies, illness, earthquakes, or injustice, you would simply say, well, stuff happens. That's the way the world is. The idea that we have a right to happiness means that we also have a right to intervene, to intervene against social injustice if it looks like there illnesses that could be cured and that aren't simply the will of providence to punish people who were bad in their previous lives. I mean, when you say that everyone has an equal right to happiness, you also change a bit the notion of happiness itself because it turns out then not to simply mean getting stuff. If you don't view the goal of life as something beyond the world that we live in. It means that happiness is not an end state passive consumption. It means that happiness is an active pursuit of being in the world, of creating something in the world, and indeed of giving something back to the world. Hmm, very, very enjoyable, don't you think?
should worry anymore Cause when life looks like easy street There is danger at your door Think this through with me Let me know your mind Choice, my friends, better take my advice. You know all the rules by now, and the fire from the ice. Will you come with me? Won't you come with me? Oh, oh, what I want to know. Children are spoiled, they're ruined. Everything is left with them in the homes. My word, if, if, if we would have done the things, we'd have had a good stick on us. And that's where they're spoiling them now. In the school, there was a, a cane. And that's what's spoiling them now. There's no, no, there's no cane. There's only learning. And learning, i never seen such children in these days. There's no manner to like heathens. And look at those teddy boys. And carry on. Uh, there was a harvest home up, up where I come from last week and, and Margaret and her, and her pal went up and all the way home, all the way from, from the chapel to the Ballabag, young fellas behind the hedge throwing swibs and a person right at their feet burned them and put them in under the chapel door. Wouldn't have done it in my young days, he wouldn't, wouldn't have walked. My father would have a, a, a stick that he wouldn't have walked with. It was very strict. Be seeing you. 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 Every night I live and die. Feel the party to my bones Watch the wasters blow the speakers Spill my guts beneath the outdoor light It's just another graceless night I hate the headlines and the weather I 
And you have been listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Join me again soon here on Colm Radio for more voyages through the realms of good music and spoken word. Goodbye. On the all night, talk radio.